Let's get into the scriptures, and um, some of this will kind of make sense uh, here in Isaiah in light of what's happening today. Uh, Isaiah is a book of prophecy as well, uh, like Revelation, like Daniel, uh, like Ezekiel. There are prophetic things about it, and um, we come to kind of what is called the little apocalypse uh, here in Isaiah chapter 24, 25, 26, and 27. They call that the miniature or the little apocalypse. And it, it's like a little book of Revelation, really, in these chapters that we're in tonight. And uh, it's going to start with kind of a heavy part. Uh, really, chapter 24 is the end of the world. So uh, you might say, well, that, that's going to be very current. <laughs> it feels like the end of the world in some ways right now, uh, you know, with the coronavirus uh, the lockdown and everybody getting sick uh, feels like the end of the world. And then if you if you add that on to, um, you know, the economy collapse and people losing their jobs, four million uh, Americans are, um, uh, pardon me, 40 million Americans are out of work because of the coronavirus and businesses are going under. And then uh, on top of that, you know, with the, um, the racism issue and then this, you know, this, um, the, the, protests that turn into, you know, riots. And man, you just kind of feel like, boy, is this, is this the end, Lord? But um, these, are, these are things that are birth pains uh, that I think we're seeing. And it's getting intense. And it's getting more frequent, which tells us the time is close. I love that you can use the scriptures to know about what's going on. And, and if you really read the scriptures rightly, I believe that even in the midst of all the trials and troubles and birth pains, we should have joy and we should be rejoicing. Um, and another thing we should also have is peace. We should have peace in our heart that passes understanding. Because right now, a lot of us can't really say we understand everything that's going on in America. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing when you hear what people are saying the problems are today and you ask what the solutions, nobody agrees. And, um, and it's really quite a, an amazing thing, the, the conspiracy theories and information uh, and misinformation. Uh, it's just caused so much, you know, consternation and struggle. But I believe the Christian, we uniquely get to have a peace that goes beyond understanding. Uh, we get to have a peace in our heart because of the Prince of Peace. If you miss Sunday's teaching, you know, you, you should really catch up on that because we spent a lot of time talking about that. Uh, even, you know, George Floyd and that situation that happened, uh, brutal, brutal deal. And um, we'll, we'll probably talk, talk more about that on, on Friday night at the uh, Prophecy Update. But um, I just love the Bible. The Bible is just so good. And, and I, I don't want to be a tourist when it comes to knowing the Bible. I want to be, you know, uh, an expert. I want to be a, an adventurer, not a tourist. Um, I, I like to do things that are, you know, going deeper. And that's why we take Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and go right through the scriptures and we, we dive deep. I uh, came across this story. It's kind of funny. A candidate for a church membership was asked, um, what part of the Bible do you like best? And he said, I like the New Testament best. Then he was asked, what book in the New Testament is your favorite? And he answered, the book of parables, sir. <laughs> and then they asked him to relate one of the parables to the membership committee. Uh, you know, like tell him of one of the parables. And a bit uncertain, he began. He said this, Once upon a time, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jer Jericho and fell among thieves. And the thorns grew up and choked the man. And he went out and met the queen of Sheba. And she gave the man, sir, a thousand talents of silver and a hundred changes of raiment. And he got his chariot and drove furiously. And as he was driving under 
a big tree, he got his hair caught in a limb and it left him hanging there. <laughs> and he hung there many days and many nights and the ravens brought him food to eat water, eat food and drink water. And one night while he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came and cut off all his hair. So he fell to the stony ground and it began to rain and it rained 40 days and 40 nights and he hid himself in a cave. Later, he went on and met a man who said, come in and sup with me. But he said, I can't come in for I've married a wife. And the man went out into the highways and the hedges and compelled him to come in. And he came to Jerusalem, saw Queen Jezebel sitting high and lifted up in a window up on the wall. When she saw him, she laughed and he said, throw her down out of there. And they threw her down. And he said, throw her down again. And they threw her down 70 times seven. And the fragments which they picked up filled 12 baskets full. Now, whose wife will she be in the end of the judgment? <laughs> the membership committee agreed this indeed was a knowledgeable candidate and approved him for membership. <laughs> I, I, I laugh at that because um, I feel like some people have sort of that level of biblical knowledge where they know enough to sort of sound like they know Bible stories and using the right lingo. And, uh, but man, knowing the heart and the, uh, what's behind the scriptures and, and, and then applying that to our lives, you know, that, that's the hard part is, is seeing people who are saying, man, I'm gonna live out what I'm studying and learning in the scriptures and, and letting the, 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 the Bible be our boundary and our standard. Um, man, if you let the Bible be not, not what's hot, popular or hip or what everybody else is doing, not what everybody else is thinking, you know, one of the things about being a Bible person and a Christian is you're gonna have to go against the flow of everybody. That's just the way it is. Um, narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And I find that it's really easy for Christians today to sort of take the broad path. And, and, and that is to, uh, you know, do the stuff that's hip or popular or even seemingly right. But man, we gotta be careful in this day because one of the, patterns is, you know, in these last days is people calling good evil and evil good. And, and, um, and everybody just jumping on board. I think we have to be really careful. And uh, we'll see kind of in Isaiah here how, man, things are going to come down. Don't forget that the world's coming to an end and it could be sooner than later. Uh, and Isaiah chapter 24 talks about that very topic. So if you want to know what the end of the world's going to be like, you got to Look in the book right here. So Isaiah 24, verse one, it starts off in verse one. It says, behold, the Lord maketh therefore, pardon me, maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turns it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. That's a tough start <laughs> right there. The earth will be made empty and make it, he'll turn it into waste. Uh, rubble is the idea. And then the phrase turning it upside down is kind of an interesting one. In the Hebrew, um, some of your margins there read, you know, um, it, it perverteth the face of the earth. In other words, um, taking what we know normal and tweaking it, the face of the earth. And that, that's congruent, by the way, with the other apocalyptic sort of mentions of the end of the earth because um, the mountains are gonna be removed. The islands of the ocean are gonna disappear. I mean, that's gonna change the face of the earth a lot. Um, and, um, and that's something you can count on uh, toward the end. But uh, there is a language there that makes it sort of interesting where it does imply that the earth, not only the face of it will be sort of perverted, uh, the Lord will flip it around or tip it over. 
Um, uh, can you imagine? Now, uh, I know it tends to be sort of fringe science, but people do wonder, why does the earth wobble right now? If there's a little wobble in the earth when it spins on its axis and, you know, and, and um, of course, you know, science, they don't know uh, really a lot of things about why the earth does what it does. But, but um, the, the question is, is it possible for our, um, the polar axis to have a shift or even a flipping upside down? Can you imagine? If that happened slowly and gradually, would we even know? But if it happened quickly, I'm pretty sure we'd know. Uh, it's interesting the language here. It says it'll turn the world upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. <laughs> when I was a fifth and sixth grade kid, I was popular for one main reason. I could you know, flip the merry-go-round out on the playground faster than most. And so all my buddies would get on the merry-go-round, come on, Brett. And so I would go out there and start spinning and spinning and, and I could get it going so fast that eventually you'd see little bodies start pew, 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 flying off the, off the merry-go-round because they couldn't hang on any longer and, and everybody tumble into the sawdust. That's what we had in our playground of sawdust. And, um, and you know, it was, just, it was just funny to watch the, you know, centrifugal force, you know, uh, that was too hard. And so this is kind of the imagery of what's gonna happen. The earth flipped over and the inhabitants scattered or kind of flipped out. And uh, maybe even only a few would survive this moment or this time when this happens. And so this is the beginning of, of, uh, of chapter 24, the earth um, being turned upside down. Now tuck that away because we'll come back to that turning the earth upside down and just uh, maybe towards the end of tonight or as we wrap, wrap up. But, as it turns out, terra firma is not so firma. <laughs> it's going to tweak. It's going to be uh, defaced and tweaked out in, in the destruction period. And verse 2, it shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the taker of usury, so will the giver of usury to him and the land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. So you've got this idea of, um, man, when things go this bad, it's not gonna help you if you're rich or poor, if you're powerful or weak. Um, it's gonna be the great equalizer when the Lord intervenes, the day of the Lord, and he pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world, suddenly uh, all the classes and money and banking and all that, it's gonna mean nothing. That's the idea of all these comparisons in verse two. And that's something that I think that's gonna come up even in the next chapter about the great equalizer. We're gonna see how the Lord will do that. And, and right now the world scratches his head because you know, there's, there's um, people that feel like they're uh, you know, left out and, and um, you know, there's people that feel like they're not as fortunate or privileged. We talk a lot about privilege uh, in, in these days. And, um, and the Lord is the one who's gonna actually solve that problem, but it's gonna be a little different than what we all would picture or think. Um, but it's gonna happen like this. And the land's gonna be emptied and utterly spoiled. And it says at the end of verse three, the Lord hath spoken his word. Um, when the Lord speaks something, it's as good as done. It's going to happen. Um, that's that's the, the, the heavy part. Now, um, all that to say, um, you know, some people believe that, that this is just the beginning 
uh, it makes you wonder how many people are going to survive during the tribulation period when all this stuff kind of cataclysmically comes down. Um, but that's, that's just something, you know, when you read the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, you see hailstones pounding the planet, 100-pound hailstones pounding the planet. You see earthquakes and mountains being removed. You see the sun being dark and the moon being darkened out and red as well. And there's all kinds of mentions of just kind of catastrophe sort of things, along with hum humanity adding to the catastrophe. Um, you know, it's, it seems like when things get worse, humans make things even more worse. It's a little bit like we had it bad enough with the coronavirus that's sort of been out of our control, but now things are even worse uh, because uh, of what we're doing to ourselves uh, because of sin. But that's what's going to happen in the last days as well. We're only seeing like a sneak preview uh, right now. But in verse 4 it says, The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth is also defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws and uh, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Um, now, by the way, um, if, if you want to be kind of a Bible student on this one, what covenant are, are we talking about here? It's really probably talking about the Noahic covenant. The, the Abrahamic covenant is, is uh, possible if we're just talking about the Jews here. But there was a covenant that uh, God made uh, with Noah and it, it had to do with the, the uh, rainbow. And the rainbow was not an LGBTQ uh, symbol um, back then. It was, a, it was a symbol where God said, I will use this bow, uh, rainbow, to promise that I will never destroy the earth by a flood, by water ever again. That's a promise from God. But it, the promise didn't say he would never destroy the earth again. It's just by water, by flood. Um, that was a promise. And, and there was a covenant there made. So you can study the Noahic covenant. But when that covenant uh, is broken, uh, which was meant to be an everlasting covenant, it says here in verse 5, then the earth has been defiled with the inhabitants thereof. And man, we could talk about um, what that covenant of Noah includes. But one of the things that we can see is the corruption that was happening on, during the time of Noah and, um, and there was a corruption, not just in sinful behavior, but also a, construct, a, a corruption of, of the seed of man. And um, there's, a, there's a funny thing that if, uh, a, a touristy reading through Genesis, you know, uh, and, and the whole story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, you, you know, you, you might miss it, but Noah was the one who hadn't been corrupted uh, in his family. You know where it says there in Genesis, it says that Noah was, was the one guy that had not been uh, corrupted. Let me read that to you. It says, um, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and, listen, perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. Um, interesting, uh, was Noah perfect? Well, the answer is no. Noah was not perfect. Well, why does the Bible say he was perfect in his generations? It has to do with his genealogical, uh, or you might even say his DNA or his, his heritage of family. And it has to do with what happened way back in uh, 
earlier part of Genesis chapter six, verse one. Remember it says it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took them to be wives of which all they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. It's not always gonna, uh, not gonna always strive to hang with men, to keep men safe. For he is also flesh and his days shall be 120 years. So after the flood and the pre-flood era is called the antediluvian world. And remember they were living to be a thousand years old back then before the flood. But now the Lord's saying, man's days are gonna be limited because of what he's doing with this. And then it says, and because of that, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bare children to them. And the same became mighty men, which men of old, men of renown. Um, or men of reputation, bad, bad reputation. And that's the, where we get that word Nephilim. There were Nephilim in, or giants in the land. And the point is there was a corruption of the seed when these, and, and I don't have time to go into all the details of what was happening here, but it seems that there were um, demonic entities or fallen angels that were, um, you know, coming down to, and these were not like the Greek gods of, you know, having a sexual relationship with, um, with men, but the idea was more like these demonic entities uh, somehow involving themselves with humanity. It caused there to be this sort of corruption of the genetic code, if you would. And they were corrupt in all their generations, except for Noah. Noah was like the last dude that, that still had no, none of that corruption. Well, you say, Brett, there were giants after the flood that came back like Goliath and the Philistines. Did they have corrupt, corruption in their genes? Probably. Uh, well, where did they get it if Noah was pure? Maybe Noah's wife. Maybe Noah's son's da- uh, daughter-in-laws. Um, there were eight people on the ark that were uh, laughed, lasted through the flood. Now, I'm telling you all this because um, this is the thing about Noah. Is it, there was a, a pure uh, genetic pro- part of him as well. Not that he was just a nice dude, but he was perfect in all his generations and he walked with God. So the Lord spared Noah and his family and saved humanity through them. Now we'll come back to those demons that were, the Bible calls them particularly disobedient. They did something that God did not permit them to do, but they did it anyway. And so they've been stored away for a particular season. They've not been on, these demons that did this have not been around the earth, uh, according to the Bible, but they will be again someday. Uh, We'll leave you hanging there uh, for now, but we'll uh, we'll get back to that hopefully uh, later on. So all that to say, the earth, the inhabitants, you know, it's, it's basically saying they've defiled the inhabitants of the earth. We've become so sinful. There's a point of no return where God says that's it. And that's seen in verse five of our text here in Isaiah 24, verse five. They have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant, which is the Noahic or frustrated the covenant of Noah, which uh, kind of means we're like the days of Noah. Jesus talked about that like in the days of Noah, so with the time of when the Lord would return again. So there's a great link to Noah's day and our day and the corruption of Noah's people in time and the corruption of our people in our time. Um, that's why it is interesting, by the way, to see what we're doing scientifically with genetic uh, work in, you know, they, they found the skinny gene just last week, somebody claimed in the news. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the, you know those people that we all know and love that can eat whatever they want all day long and they're still skinny? 
Uh, they claim to have found that gene. And it makes you wonder, what are they going to do? Are they going to try to build in the, you know, the skinny gene? Uh, some of you are like, oh, sign me up, man. Give me the skinny gene, you know. But um, uh, um, no, there's some people who just do skinny genes. Uh, but I, 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 I don't do the skinny genes. <laughs> but all that to say, um, the, 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 the idea of genetic manipulation, that's something we're playing around with. Um, and, uh, and I wonder if that has something to do with the kind of this corruption that's talked about in the Bible in the last days. Um, so all that to say, there's a point where they transgress so far, the Lord says that's it. So the earth mourns and fades away. By the way, um, this, this explains, <coughs> excuse me, the, the whole um, ending of the earth. You know, some people are saying the earth seems to be winding down. And, um, you know, people are saying we, we sense that, you know, there's global warming or global cooling or climate change or, and they're trying to figure it all out and stuff. And um, I just don't know about all the science. You know, I, I've done a lot of reading about global warming and what have you, but I, I, I you know, it's hard when there's so many um, political things involved with stuff that's supposed to be scientific. And so it becomes very difficult. But there's something, this is where the Bible is very clear. The earth is, in fact, tired. The earth is winding down. It says right here, verse four, the earth mourns and fades away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. Um, you know, it's like that scripture in Hebrews chapter one, where it says in verse 10, it says, thou Lord in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest and they shall wax old as does a garment and as a vesture or a piece of clothing shalt thou fold them up and they shall be changed, but thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never gonna change, but the earth is fading like an old piece of clothing. Have you ever had to throw out that favorite, you know, uh, pair of shorts or that, that shirt or that jacket was so comfortable, but finally it just got so holy and threadbare that you had to throw it away and it was, it was a bummer. Well, the earth is like that. It's got a shelf life and eventually it's gonna pass up. And the Bible says in chapter 24 of Isaiah, talking about the end of the world, the earth is gonna be tired and mourning and languishing and fading. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that today, along with the people of the earth, the haughty people of the earth, as it says here, defiling the earth and transgressing the laws and the ordinances. This all makes sense to me of what's happening today. And it, it just to me shows that we're getting closer to the end of the world. Uh, the, the events and all the climate change, if, if, you, if you want to ascribe it to whatever, that's your thing. But the Bible says this is what's gonna happen. God is allowing this to happen. Um, well, um, by the way, do we just go, because we know the earth is gonna be folded up like an old garment, do we just go and trash the earth? Of course not. Um, I think we should be good stewards of this earth. And I think we should take real care of this earth. I don't know that uh, some of the people that think they know how to take care of this earth, I'm not sure they have the best judgment on that. Um, but I do believe that we should be good stewards of the earth. And that's something we're gonna be responsible for according to the scriptures. Well, verse six, therefore hath the curse devoured the earth. Um, what curse is that? The curse of sin, of, on, the curse that man brought in in the garden of Eden. So therefore the curse hath devoured the earth and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. The new wine mourneth, the vine languisheth, 
all the merry-hearted do sigh. The mirth of tabrets ceaseth, the noise of them that rejoice endeth, the joy of the harp ceaseth. They shall not drink wine with a song, strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. The city of confusion is broken down, every house is shut up that no man may come in. Sounds like the coronavirus to me. Every house shut up that no man may come in. <laughs> and, you know, this whole time of quarantine has been kind of a bummer and silent and <clears throat> there's, people aren't playing music and people aren't having concerts. And like, it is funny how we, we can see how this could happen on a small, <clears throat> on a less perhaps grand scale. I think we've seen what coronavirus has done to the world by shutting it down. Did you see in you know Italy those people trying to sing on their back porches, you know, all together in their little um, communities and singing songs? It was really sweet and everything. But man, during this time when the end of the world's going to come, nobody's even going to try to do that. It's going to be so miserable and brutal, um, and the city will be full of confusion. Verse ten <clears throat> and verse eleven. There is a crying for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. In the city, it has left desolation and the gate is smitten with destruction. Wow. This is the end of the world that Isaiah is talking about and he's describing what it could look like. And again, I just, I find it interesting that, you know, some people are thinking, is this the end of the world? I'd say that what we're seeing happening with rioting in the streets and our, you know, buildings being burned down and <clears throat> and, and just the whole thing, that, that's gonna look like that, but it's gonna be even more global and more um, ugly than what we're seeing right now. That's gonna be what it looks like. So there's gonna be sort of a darkness and a, and, and a lack of joy. Now notice verse six, it says, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men left. So in this destruction, it's gonna somehow, there's gonna be a burning nature. Um, the flood was the first way God destroyed the earth uh, but he promised not to do that again. But the second time is going to be a burning. Um, and, uh, you know, Second Peter tells us about this. In fact, Second Peter, jot it down in your notes. In Second Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 6, talking about the last days, the end of the world. In Second Peter 3, 6, it says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In other words, he's not just saying, oh, whatever, and you know, lazy. But as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Man, I love that scripture. Why hasn't the Lord destroyed this earth yet? People say, why hasn't God intervened? Because God wants no one to perish. He's patiently waiting for the hearts of you know, stubborn men to repent of their sins, and that's his mercy. And it says, don't count God as a slacker, um, but understand that he's being patient, wanting many more to come to the Lord. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord, you guys know what that is because we've been talking about it in the book of Isaiah, the day of the Lord, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Man, that's, that's, that's uh, global warming right there. The earth's gonna be burned up. The Bible says it, only it's gonna happen quickly, not over millions of years. Uh, so that's important to know that. 
So uh, you say, Brett, this is really encouraging. Uh, the earth's gonna burn, great, thanks. Uh, but, but we need to understand what's actually happening. This is good for us to understand the destruction um, de- desolation. Verse 12 of our text, the city is left in desolation. The gate is smitten with destruction. I couldn't help but see the news of this poor gal who lived in, in um, Minnesota. And she was interviewed by some, uh, you know, news person. And it was just heartbreaking because her community had been burned down and looted and rioted in the last couple of nights. And she said, man, you know, the Walmart or whatever, and the Target store and all the places she shops are just gone now. And, and it just was heartbreaking to see, you know, how that town is just being more than 250 stores in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the last four nights have been destroyed, um, where people can't even work there anymore. More than 10,000 employees can't work there anymore because of the rioting that's been happening. And um, people are just broken, you know, and you see that in that microcosm of Minneapolis and St. Paul, and, and then, you know, Portland, we, we've had a bunch of destroyed businesses, and, and Seattle, Los Angeles, New York City, Washington, D.C., but, but all that to say, this is going to be global. When this happens, that kind of notion is going to be global, and people are not going to be dancing in the street, but they're going to be weeping because it's the whole earth that's going to sit in desolation. Verse 13, When thus it shall be in the midst of the land among the people, there shall be as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleaning of grapes when the vintage is done. They shall lift up their voice. They shall sing for the majesty of the Lord. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Wherefore glorify ye the Lord in the fires, even the name of the Lord God of Israel in the isles of the sea. From the uttermost part of the earth have we heard songs, even glory to the righteous But I said, my leanness, my leanness, woe unto me. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously, yea, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. The Hebrew scholars tell us that this reads very uh, rhythmically in in, in poetry, the way this chapter comes out. Um, You can almost hear it in the English here, but not quite. It's, uh, Isaiah is using this flowery language, but it's, a, it's sort of a, a gloomy message. But did you notice in verse 13 through 16, there's, there's something that seems like suddenly there's people of the, of the Lord doing stuff. You might be saying, Brett, who are these people? Are they going to be on the earth when all this happens? Yes, these people who are going to glorify the Lord, even in the fire, verse 15, they're going to be on the earth. Well, Brett, is that us? I believe it's not us. Don't forget, this is where a lot of people get confused because you do read about during the tribulation when God pours out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. You say, Brett, we're gonna be raptured. I believe we are. Um, I think we're gonna be taken up to be in heaven, to be with the Lord because the Lord does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. And we are his children. Um, What father would say, kids, go over there and I'm gonna destroy that area with you there. Like that's not what a father does. And I've got about 100 other reasons why I believe the Lord's going to pull us out. But one of the things the Lord's also going to do, because he would that none should perish and that everyone would come to repentance, he's going to use that horrible time of the tribulation to do a bunch of things. He's going to wake up a nation, the Jews. Uh, They're going to be woken, uh, you know, woken up by the the Lord. And and in the middle of the tribulation, they'll see that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's going to be glorious, even in the midst of the trouble of the tribulation. He's gonna judge a Christ-rejecting sinful world. That's what the tribulation's for. 
but there's also gonna be a bunch of people during the tribulation who will accept that Jesus is the Messiah. Who knows? Maybe it'll be some of your family members who thought you were a wacko because you believed in the rapture of the church and because you believe that Jesus is the Messiah and you, you became a Christian and you've t- tried to lovingly tell your family, but they just weren't listening. And then suddenly there's a mass disappearance of people on the earth. And suddenly the things of the tribulation period and the antichrist and this mark of the beasts and all these things are gonna kick into gear. There's gonna be a ton of your family members that heard you and thought you were a wacko but I believe it could just be that many of them will come to, to, to believe in Christ and they will not go the way of the world. That is who we're talking about here. And what we call them, by the way, is tribulation saints. Tribulation saints. There are gonna be people who are gonna be tribulation saints, uh, Gentiles and Jews. There's gonna be 144,000 Jews that are gonna be particularly set aside for the Lord's purpose during the tribulation period. But there's also gonna be Many people will come to know Jesus during the tribulation period. It's not gonna be fun. Um, the, the Lord says in his word that there's gonna be sent a strong delusion there in Second Thessalonians chapter two. Um, in other words, people think, well, I'll just see if you're right, Brett. And if the rapture happens and the mark of the beast comes, then I'll accept Christ. Well, there's a couple things you better hope. First of all, you better hope that you don't get the strong delusion that's sent by God over a lot of people over the earth. They're the people that have, that have rejected the Lord all their life and they're just gonna continue to reject the Lord even though all that stuff's gonna come down. Um, and they're gonna be sent a strong illusion. You better hope you're not part of that group. And then also it will cost you deeply. If you can't be a Christian now when things are easy, what makes you think you're gonna be a Christian during the tribulation period when it will cost you your head? The Bible says that if you don't take that mark of the beast and if you don't worship the image of the beast, you will be killed for that. The Bible says that. Uh, and the way they'll do it is beheading. Oh, Brett, who beheads anybody anymore? The Middle East, where all this is gonna go down um, and it's gonna come from that region of the world. They still behead people uh, and they do it all the time. Uh, all that to say, um, that's not gonna be easy. Better to be a believer in Christ now and be on the correct side of this thing. But those people are told here in verse 15, wherefore I glorify ye the Lord in the fires even the name of the Lord, God of Israel in the islands of the sea. Um, that's, that's the idea. Those that are, they're gonna say we're lean. There's leanness. And the, the one who's treacherous has dealt with us treacherously. It's gonna be a brutal, brutal time. Um, well, verse 17, fear and the pit and, and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitants of the earth. It shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. Man, does that sound horrible? People are gonna freak out and they'll be running for their lives only to fall into the pit. Yep, and it says, and he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open and the fountains of the earth do shake. Oh, pardon me, the foundations of the earth do shake. And the earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall, be, shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. Man, you know, the earth and its destructive force. We just, you know, our, our friends down in Vanuatu in the South Pacific just had a huge category five hurricane, uh, you know, a few months ago, go through, uh, right through our, our, you know, mission base on, uh, um, you know, 
on the islands of Vanuatu there near Luganville and Santo. And Tad and Marna were here for a short visit um, and uh, then the coronavirus thing hit and they, they closed down the country so nobody could come and go out of Vanuatu. So Tad and Marna are st stuck here for now. Uh, meanwhile, there was a horrible cyclone that happened and, um, and it, it wiped out a ton of buildings. Uh, in fact, uh, every building on our base, except for one, uh, where, where Tad and Marna live and, and all of our, the pastors and some of the church people, um, all our buildings were damaged. Some of them were destroyed. Um, and the roofs were taken off of some of them. Uh, but 150 mile an hour winds, uh, that's a tough day right there. And, um, and so we're trying to remotely get them set back up and get some coverings on their roofs. And we got work to do, we got a lot of work to do, but keep our, our brothers and sisters in Vanuatu in prayer because you know, it's not easy to go through that. And, and, but the thing that I saw some of the video footage of that and man, the forceful winds and watching those little houses, there was a house next door that some missionary from Australia built. I actually went to that house once and it was like a house you'd see here in Tualatin. It was built like an American house. That house is gone. Um, I, I guess it's, it's better to have a hut that's a little more flexible. Blessed are the flexible for they'll bend and not break. <laughs> a lot of the huts actually did better than that house. that was built like an American house. That house is gone now because of that cyclone. But. But you, you kind of see, that's what the description here is, the, the, you know, the, the houses and the buildings are gonna shake like little cottages and be wiped out. And uh, that's gonna be across the globe. It's gonna be a horrible time. The force that God could put upon this nation and wrath and judgment. People have tasted and seen some of that in small locations, cyclones, hurricanes, tornadoes. Those are gonna seem like child's play compared to what's happening here in Isaiah chapter 24. Um, the earth will reel to and fro like a drunkard. Um, that's, that sounds pretty bad. That's, that tends to be that wobble that we were talking about, the polar axis wobble that already is there. Some say the wobble's gonna get worse and it's gonna be somehow, who knows how that's gonna happen? Could it be a, uh, you know, we always talk about what would happen if a giant asteroid hit the earth. What would happen? What would that feel like around the globe? What kind of an earthquake would that induce? What would happen after that? Like people don't really know, but some suggest that that's what's gonna happen. That's why the earth will wobble like a drunkard um, and houses will be shaken and removed like a little cottage or booth or tabernacle or tent is the idea. And verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day, there's that term again, that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. Um, now, this is an interesting, uh, interesting d discussion here. Uh, the Lord will punish the host uh, of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, who are these high ones? Some would argue that um, it's what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm chapter two. Let me read to you Psalm chapter two. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth are set uh, of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel again together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, "Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us." He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision, or in other words, um, the, the Lord will scoff at their puny little fists shaking at God. God will go, Pfft, whatever. 
And then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree of the Lord. Um, He said it to me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thy inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. And thou shalt break them with the rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces, pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Kings of the earth, those that are in power and control, Here's a, a, you know, a description of what's gonna happen to those who shake their fists at God. And we have a lot of governors, we have a lot of leaders and rulers and you know, politicians that really do that. They, they think they're bigger than God. They know more than God. But um, here the admonition of the Psalms say, be wise and, and serve the Lord with fear. But uh, those that don't do that, he's gonna break them, verse nine, with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. You know, Psalm chapter two is not your average little everyday Psalm that's a nice one we sing in church every Sunday. It's talking about the end. It's talking about this, you know, we're we're here in uh, chapter 24 of Isaiah. The Lord says he's gonna punish the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. Verse 22, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison and after many days they shall be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before his ancients gloriously. So before Christ rules and reigns, that's where the sun's gonna be ashamed, the moon's gonna be darkened or shadowed. Um, and that, that goes with Jesus' account of the last days in Matthew 24, it also is in line with the tribulation period of Revelation 6 through 19. And, uh, and, and this is Isaiah's saying the same things those guys said. Uh, I would say Jesus and uh, both uh, Jesus' account in Matthew 24 and John's revelation is even more clear than what Isaiah said. It's almost like Isaiah is introducing us to this idea of the moon being you know, uh, confounded, the sun being ashamed. And then the Lord is gonna come after that and rule and reign on Mount Zion. That's the millennial kingdom. So all this destruction that's gonna be on the earth is during the tribulation. And then the Lord's gonna come and rule and reign and he's gonna fix all the things that are bad uh, when he comes and rules and reigns on the earth. So that's the first part of the little apocalypse here. Isaiah 24 through 27 is the first part is the end of the earth the end of the earth uh, as we know it, um, right here in Isaiah 24. In chapter 25 and 26, we, we see the kingdom age when Christ comes. It's like verse 23 is the signal. Okay, Christ now is ruling and reigning now in Jerusalem. And, uh, and so what do we got going on there? Well, verse one of chapter 25. It says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For thou hast made of a city a heap, of a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, it shall never be built. 
Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat. When the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with a shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible one shall be brought low. Okay, so in this first section, if you're a note taker, we can divide this chapter into five sections talking about the kingdom. First of all, we have the reversal of fortune. The reversal of fortune, verses one through five. Those that were high and powerful and you know, rich and doing well, they're gonna be brought very low. Um, and, and the Lord is gonna bring up the, the person who is poor and without strength. Verse four, um, he'll, he'll be a strength to the needy in his distress and a refuge from the storm. You see, you know, ultimately, when we see um, you know, people that have been marginalized in our culture uh, or in the world, um, and you know, it's really sad because if, if you're a student of history, you know, historically it's been horrible. You know, racism is an abomination. You know, I love how the Bible, um, the Lord says there's neither Jew nor Greek, like male nor female. Like the Lord doesn't say there's, you know, that one class is better than another. Um, uh, but in, instead the Lord says that, uh, you know, he loves all of us, his creation. And we were all created in the image of God. But in sinful humanity, throughout all of history, um, people have been marginalized and people have been brought down to very low. And it's, it's been a tough thing to watch just if you, if you study history and seeing what's going on today uh, around the world. You know, um, it, it, right now, you know, the, the um, racism in America is at the forefront of our discussion. And people are talking, hopefully listening and hearing each other and talking. But at the same time, you know, I, I, I think of so many others too. Um, uh, it's hard for me to get on any single issue and, and really say, we're gonna jump on this and really fight for this one because I'd be so busy fighting for so many people. I would fight for the unborn. Man, the, the, you know, millions and millions of aborted babies. This to me is one of the greatest abominations of our, of our generation, um, this, to see what's happening to the unborn child. Um, it's just, you know, it's just so evil. As racism is evil, I'd say abortion is evil as well. And, and maybe in some ways it's so evil because the world just calls it good, it calls abortion good. And we're, we're celebrating that, like it's a great thing. And, you know, people are acting like uh, I'm the horrible one to say that abortion is wrong. Um, it's, it's just really something, the days we're living. Um, we could talk about the Jews. You know, um, uh, no single race has ever been hated and just tried to be destroyed more than the Jews. Um, you know, um, some people talk about racism and, um, and I, I, I agree, racism is horrible. Um, and, and some people would say, well, what's the difference between, you know, um, the, uh, the racism that we're seeing here in America today against the African-American versus the racism of the Jew? Um, there is a difference, and I will tell you what the difference is. Um, the, the Jews are the people, the group that have been sought after to be wiped out completely. Um, slavery is horrible enough. Uh, it's the worst part of America's history, of course. 
But, but the Jews have had several times in their history, even in some of the people who are alive today, if, if you're you know, alive when you were around during World War II, you lived through a time where six million Jews were killed because of their race. And the goal was the final solution by Hitler and the Nazis. And that's happened to the Jews throughout history, whether you're talking Antiochus Epiphanes or Hadrian, the Roman emperor, or if you're talking about um, you know, uh, the Pharaoh or Herod the Great who killed all the male J Jewish children. Like the Jews have been targeted out f for millennia. And my point is this, that there have been people groups uh, that have been marginalized, hated, and some even said, let's just wipe them out altogether. And, and, and even today, isn't it amazing? Anti-Semitism is on, on the rise all around the world. People hate the Jews still. Um, in Germany right now, it's, it's the most dangerous place in the world. You'd think Germany would be the safest place for a Jew because of their horrible history. You'd think the Germans would say, <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna do the Hitler thing again. But right now, anti-Semitism, hatred against Jews, it's all, it's, it's totally uh, radical right now in Germany. So you're saying, Brett, you mean we gotta worry about the horrible racism in America and you're saying there's other things too like racism against Jews? Yep, horrible around the world. Uh, and, and abortion? Yep, horrible. Which one's worse? Honestly, I'm just gonna say it. I think abortion is, when we stand before God someday, we're gonna realize what a abomination abortion has been. And I, I, I'm telling you, I think God's gonna pour out his wrath upon this Christ-rejecting sinful world. And that's gonna be one of the main reasons right there is what we're doing with our children. That was, by the way, one of the things that broke the camel's back, so to speak, in, um, in the land of Canaan, when they were sacrificing babies on the arms of Moloch and Chemosh of ancient times, God said, I am done with those people. And that's when he said to the Jews, go in and utterly destroy you know, the Jebusites, the, um, the, the Moabites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the flashlights and all those people. He said, I'm gonna just wipe them out. What was it that happened? They became so evil in their sinful ways. Uh, it's almost like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I, I do wonder about our culture and us embracing that. But the reason I go into all this stuff is there's coming a day where the Lord is gonna write all that stuff. And the marginalized and the hated, the people who've experienced racism, the Lord's gonna right that wrong. And it's not gonna be a pretty sight for those who, who were, were the, the wicked in this case. And um, our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Man, when Christ comes and returns, which I believe could be soon, it's gonna, there's gonna be an end of racism. The total end of racism is gonna happen. Man, I long for that day. Until then, what do we do? Man, we just keep doing our best to try to, you know, stop racism. You know, we're, we're, we can do our best, um, but the problem is not what a lot of people think it is. It really is largely just sin. I'll just say it, uh, you know, everybody's gonna do what they gotta do and the Lord's called different people to do different things. Um, you know, some people uh, think they're gonna be doing this or that or the other thing to try to help stop racism. And I, I'm not sure I know all the answers. But here's what I do know. I, I think that for some of us, myself particularly, I feel called to preach the gospel. Man, it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I've really given my life to preaching the gospel every single Sunday. I try to sneak it in even on our Wednesday night Bible study whenever I can because it's Jesus is the answer. 
Um, the world is dark and we need the light of Christ to shine into this world. And so, you know, for me, the, the more people we can lead to Christ, um, the more we'll see evil be pushed down and pushed back. Um, you can't change a person from the outside in. You've got to change a person from the inside out. And, and, and racism is one of those things. Man, you can't change a racist from the outside and then in. It's got to be a total regeneration of the heart. There's got to be a massive heart transplant and God can do that. He says, I'll take your stony heart and I'll replace it with a heart, you know, that's soft. Remember, remember um, you know, Paul wrote his letter to uh, Philemon and Philemon had a slave named Onesimus and Paul, man, he, he, he kind of laid it on thick and he said, Onesimus, you know, was the slave. He says, he, he ran away from you, Philemon. But if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. In other words, you know, if, if you're mad at Onesimus, you're gonna be mad at me, Paul the apostle says to, you know, Philemon. And of course, Philemon was compelled there to say, oh yeah, this is just wrong. And, and Paul says, you receive Onesimus as a brother. He's a Christian. We're brothers in Christ. And this idea of slavery, that's what the whole book of Philemon is about. The, the changing of a person's heart and the way the Lord was doing away with slavery in that situation. Um, it's the Lord Jesus Christ that the world needs. And so, you know, some people are, you know, saying this or doing that or joining that team or club or, you know, I'm gonna just continue to do what the Lord's called me personally to do. And I can't say you're all called to do it, but I, I know I am, the gospel. You can't clean the fish before you catch the fish. That's what people are, I think sometimes try to do. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And until people are saved and repentant of their sins, we're gonna have racism in this world and it's gonna get worse. The more people repent, the more people come to Jesus. Wherever the gospel of Jesus has been truly received, ultimately, that would be an end of slavery. Um, but, you know, where it was tweaked out or a perverted version of, the, of Christianity or whatever, you'll, you can show me uh, historically where Christians had slaves, so-called. But, but if you really read the Bible and see what the gospel really has done throughout history, it's, the Bible is anti-slavery, anti-racism, and the gospel is the one that frees people up from that. So all that to say, um, this is all coming down. The Lord says it. He says, I'm gonna take the people that were high and mighty and mean and horrible, and I'm gonna judge them. But for the poor, verse four, uh, I'm gonna be a strength to them and for the needy and distressed, man. The Lord's gonna make all these things wrong that, that are wrong right now. He's gonna make them right. Love that. I look forward to that because, um, you know, it's tiring to try to figure it all out. Um, but I, I just really believe that, that, man, the Lord is the one Without him, we can do nothing. So he's, he's the, 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 the solution to the problems today. Well, um, there's a phrase here that I wanna point out to you Bible students, because this is interesting. Remember I told you about the branch, the netzer that we studied several weeks back and Jesus is the branch. But do you remember a few weeks ago, I also showed you there's a false branch. And we talked about this antichrist who's, who's sort of, remember he's a duplicator and imitator and the false branch is, is referenced here in verse five again where it says, the second part of verse five, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud, the branch of the terrible one shall be brought low. This could be talking about that counterfeit branch, the antichrist at the end of the tribulation, he'll be done away with. 
So that's that. So we got the first section here, a reversal of fortune. That's what the Lord's gonna do, um, a reversal of fortune. Number two, we've got a reward for the faithful. Uh, in the millennial kingdom, there's gonna be reward for the faithful. Verse six, and in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the, um, on the, on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. Basically, there's gonna be a beautiful feast and a reward for the faithful. That's number two, a reward for the faithful. Number three, um, we have here a revelation of, of uh, fatality. What's gonna happen to death and the fatal? I'm keeping my Fs going here. So you have number one, uh, a reversal of fortune. Number two, a reward for the faithful. Number three, a revelation of fatality. It says in verse seven, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off of all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the, all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. There's gonna be a lifting of this blanket um, that's spread over the nations. There's a, you talk about a wet blanket or a dark covering, that's verse seven, but it's, it's death. The Lord's gonna, during this millennial kingdom, he's gonna swallow up death. Um, this verse seven here, um, Paul the apostle sort of borrowed this from, uh, from Isaiah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me read to you what Paul wrote about this, quoting Isaiah, our text tonight. It says there in Isaiah 15, 53, it says, for this corruptible, these bodies must put on incorruption, new bodies. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible, this body that's gonna die, shall have put on incorruption and this mortal should put on immortality, then shall he, it be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul says, man, these bodies that are corruptible and defiled and sinful and messed up, they're gonna be, we're gonna be given a new body that's incorruptible not perishing. And he's gonna um, conquer death and the grave. And uh, man, that's gonna be a glorious day. And that's uh, Paul the apostle, he's quoting from Isaiah um, right here when he uh, uses that scripture. I love how Paul knew the Old Testament scriptures and used those. Um, so verse eight and seven and eight is the idea of fatality is not gonna be an issue in the, in the kingdom. So uh, a revelation of fatality. Then number four, we have a rejoicing in the Father, verse nine. It says there, and it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So we have a rejoicing in the Father. I love how this group of people here, they're saying, we waited for him. Are you waiting for the Lord? Are you looking forward to the Lord's return? Um, because 
those that are here in this place, place realize that, man, he was the answer all along. We're so glad that he's here. We're, we're so glad that the Father, Jehovah, our God, um, we're gonna rejoice in his salvation that he's gonna bring during that millennial kingdom. That's gonna be great. We're gonna see next week in chapter 26 how that rejoicing should be for us even today. We should be rejoicing that the Lord's gonna return and make all the wrongs right. We should have that same anticipation. So a rejoicing in the Father. So number one, verses one through five, you've got a reversal of fortune. Number two, verse six, we've got a reward for the faithful. Uh, number three, a uh, revelation of the, of, uh, the fatal, the fatality. Um, and then number, I, I think, did I, I might've skipped number two, the, the reward for the faithful. That's the fat feast that we were talking about. Hope I didn't skip that part. Um, but that's the reward for the faithful, number two. Number three, a revelation of fatality, verses seven and eight, that's number three. Number four, rejoicing the father. And finally, um, a retribution for the foolish. Uh, check this out, verse 10. It says, for in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest and Moab shall be trodden down under him, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands. And the fortress of the high fort of thy walls shall bring down, lay low, and bring the ground even to dust. When the Lord returns, that's what he's gonna do. To set up his kingdom, how's he gonna do it? Picture the scene here. He says, it's like a swimmer. When a swimmer comes and pushes his hands through the water, the Lord's gonna take and just go, okay, there's all the cities. And he's just gonna scrape it all off and clear it off and then set up his kingdom. That's, that's the image right there. So, you know, picture Phelps swimming in the Olympics and with his big arms just going like this and doing the breath stoke or whatever. That's what the Lord's gonna do. He's gonna go, okay, here's the earth. There goes all the cities and all the evil and wicked. And he's gonna set up his kingdom. This is gonna be an everlasting kingdom and all the wrongs are gonna be right. There's gonna be everlasting peace, everlasting prosperity that comes from Christ. Christ is the answer. Jesus is the way that's gonna solve all this problem. All the turmoil, the disease, the death, the cataclysmic you know, events of earthquakes and famine, all that stuff's gonna be dealt with when the Lord returns. And that's our hope. And the Bible says in James chapter, uh, pardon me, 1 John chapter three, uh, it says that he who has this hope purifieth himself. There's something that happens to the believer that lives with this worldview of, of the return of Christ, the rapture of the church and the imminence of that event happening. The thing that happens to the believer is we live with that hope and, and there's a purifying effect. In other words, you and I won't necessarily be out partying down or rioting or looting in downtown Portland um, because we're, we're not, we don't care about that stuff. We care about the Lord and his return. We don't wanna be given to sinful things. Um, we wanna see uh, righteousness brought in. We wanna see the poor being pulled up by the Lord. We wanna be a part of his kingdom. And so there's a purifying effect. And, and I believe that the person who has the real hope of Christ, there's, it's not that we become lazy and just sit around and say, well, the Lord's coming back someday, whatever. That's not the deal. The, the deal is that because we know the Lord's returning and we're watching and waiting for that, man, we're busy about the work of the kingdom. That's why we're doing what we're doing right now. 
teaching the scriptures uh, as hard as I know how to teach the Bible. Man, we're, we're teaching the Bible because this is something that's kingdom oriented. This Wednesday night, this hour and a half that you've spent, you know, basically just getting into scripture tonight, this is kingdom time. We're talking about Jesus and his coming kingdom and we're learning what the Bible says is gonna happen in this world. The rest of the world, they're struggling and fighting and trying to figure out what's going on and, and, but they're all stressed out and everybody's upset. We as Christians, we have the hope of Christ's return and this purifies us. It makes us wanna serve the Lord. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talked about the two servants. One servant was watching for the return of the Lord and was busy about the work of the kingdom. And the Lord said, this servant will be blessed. But there's the other servant that says, ah, the Lord delays his coming and it's not coming now. So he went around and started punching his brother in the face and partying down like there was no tomorrow. And the Lord said, that servant, he's gonna end up in the place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The, the, the good servant that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 was watching, vigilant, sober, busy about the work of the kingdom. And that's what you and I should be doing. We should be sharing Christ with people. You know, um, it's amazing how many, so, pe so many people are talking about what we should be doing or all this stuff. But man, you know, don't be afraid to tell somebody, you know what, I like what I'm doing more than what you're not doing. Well, I put a black square on my Instagram yesterday. Wow. Well, you know what? I am sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with anyone who will hear. Uh, I like what I'm doing more than what a lot of people are not doing. And I, I think that we need to kind of keep in perspective what really matters. And I, I, I believe that Jesus is the whole thing. Uh, I'm gonna go down fighting uh, to say Jesus is the answer for every problem in this world. And we need to point people to Christ. That's where people will be helped. That's where healing's found. That's where light shines in the darkness. That's where the poor are brought up high. That's where the compassion is found. It's all right there uh, in Jesus, in Christ alone. That's where it's at. So that's why we do what we do. And, and, and man, as I read Isaiah, I wanna be more about that than ever. Because look at the day that's coming. The day of the Lord is no joke. And it is coming, and I believe sooner than later. And we'll talk about that uh, more on Friday night at our Prophecy Update. Let's pray together. Lord, these are tricky times that we live in and I do take time right now, Lord, and pray. Um, I pray, Lord, for those that are marginalized and feel um, that they've been treated so badly and, and, um, and Lord, the situations that have been horrible. And, and Lord, racism is ugly and it's sinful and not only um, are we against it, but Lord, more importantly, we know for a fact you're against it. And so I pray, Father, that this nation, that there'd be healing and that you would do a work, Lord, in this nation to heal the, the wounds um, of, of what's happening right now. And, and Lord, for the cities tonight that are still in, in rioting and trouble, um, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, somehow people would have ears to hear the good news of the gospel. That no matter how bad we're persecuted on this earth or in this life, that you are, you're the answer. Lord, I pray that you just break those, the, 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 the will of those people that are destroying and hurting and trying to cause harm. Lord, um, we know that there are evil people in all professions. And we know there's wicked law enforcement people, but we also know there's 
mostly really good people doing a job of law enforcement. I pray protection on the police officers. Um, Lord, we know that hundreds and hundreds of police have been injured um, and some have been killed even in the last few days. Um, Lord, I pray that you put protection around our police officers. I pray that the African-American community could um, see and, and that you'd raise up more and more people that would point to Jesus, that more and more people would see you as the one that loves them as the answer. And, and I pray, Lord, that whatever, um, whatever this nation needs to heal, Lord, that you would just infuse that in. We, we trust you. Lord, you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask for or even think about. So we pray, Lord, that you would heal and, and mend. I pray, Father, just blessing uh, upon the folks that are, that are marginalized in this world. Lord, we do think of the, the babies that are unborn. Um, you tell us that they're a miracle that you create in the mother's womb. And we see, Lord, that you are doing that work at the very moment of conception. And yet we've cast that off as not a life, Lord, and forgive us. Forgive us as a nation for what we have done. Lord, we think of the anti-Semitism around the world and, and as that heats up and um, Jewish people around Europe and even in America sometimes, Lord, we see where there's just real hatred and, and danger, synagogues being burnt down um, in Europe and Jews fleeing for their lives, Lord. We, we just see the ugliness of sin and racism all around this world. But Lord, we know that you're the one, you're the author of peace, you're the Prince of Peace. So we pray, Lord, that you would come quickly, that you'd right all these wrongs, show us how we can best serve you until that day, Lord. Bless your congregation. Lord, I pray for um, all of our brothers and sisters like the old song, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. We know it's true that, that, that they're all precious in your sight. That's just a true thing, Lord, that you, you have thoughts toward us, all of us, thoughts of peace, not of evil. You have precious thoughts. Lord, I pray that people would know that they are loved, Lord, by you, that people would know your love, your kindness, your compassion. So we just commit all this to you, Lord. Pray that you'd bless these people who've listened to this Bible study tonight. May they go now and bring forth good fruit in their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.